Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily Premier League weekend review show. And the big question that we're looking at is the Premier League title race done and dusted as Manchester City move five points clear at the top of the table. City's 4-1 win at Liverpool, that's where we get ourselves started as Pep Guardiola's side landed a title blow onto Jurgen Klopp. In part two, it's the other side of Manchester as Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's side failed to close the gap on City as they drew 3 all with Everton. And then to wrap up the show in part three, we're looking at Aston Villa who beat Arsenal 1-0 at Villa Park plus all the other action over the last 48 hours. My name's Fergal Brennan and I'll be looking to make a little bit of sense of the madness and to get through it all with me, I'm joined by podcast kingpin Rob Blanchett from the Manchester United podcast, The Masterclass. Rob, how are you? I'm good, Fergal. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. I'm very well. And fresh from racking up the miles on the highways and byways of the UK, the man who puts the snake in the snake's pass is freelance freelance journalist Pete Hall. Oh, yes. Wow. Wow, that is that is some introduction. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I might get that, I might get that tattooed in another another language in in Mandarin or something. Just have the snake on my on my forearms as, as a little tag, a little tag of myself. The man who snakes, uh, sorry, the man who tames the snake on the snake's pass. That's what I was going to go for. I was thinking, how can I build you in? Pete hasn't been on the show in a while, so it's only fair that he gets a big building. Right, Liverpool. Premier League defending champions up against Premier League current leaders. Manchester City 4-1 winners at Anfield. Rob, it's a difficult one to take in terms of where we assess where both sides are moving um, towards the end of the season. But for me, this game, and in particular the last 15 or 20 minutes as City just went up through the gears and and knocked in those extra two goals to make absolutely sure of the, the three points, that shows for me where Manchester City are right now and where Liverpool are right now. 
well, defending champions indeed, but champions that can't defend at the moment. That's, I think, the way it's going for Liverpool. And what we're seeing unfold here really is the kind of two paths of the teams this season. City are on a on a rising. That was their 10th win in the Premier League in a row. And you look at Liverpool and, you know, albeit without their Herculean defender in Van Dijk, but they've got issues throughout the team. And you can see it from back to front. It's not just the centre-back position that's an issue at the moment. Um, Pete, when you look at this performance from City, we'll, we'll come to Liverpool in a minute. Obviously, City now move five points clear at the top of the table with a game in hand that they'll, they'll take up against Everton later on this month. Um, this was arguably more about the results than the performance in some senses because Pep Guardiola's side, despite the fact that they've been so dominant in the Premier League in the last few seasons, their shtick in the last month has been just keep winning, just keep winning, roll on and roll on. And Guardiola's press conference at the end was interesting. He obviously praised the players and the performance they put in, but he's all about just keep it going, keep winning matches. I'm not interested in in over-glamorising the situation. We want to win the Premier League title and to do that, you just need to keep winning games. When um, managers do press conferences before games, often you get the you get a boring answer of "Oh, we're just looking. We're not looking too far ahead. We're just looking to the next game." But Pep Guardiola actually means that when he says it, because he does say it. He says he won't even take questions about any title race. He only takes questions about the next game because that is how he works. That is how his mind works. And that's that. If you're going to go on the run that City have, you know, winning each of the last fourteen in in all competitions, then. That's the sort of mentality you need to have from your manager. And he's, it's the hardest thing to do in football. The hardest thing to do is to keep focus week in, week out, two, three times a week at the moment because how relentless the schedule is and keep going and keep going and keep coming back and keep putting in performances. And all credit to Guardiola who, you know, he's had his doubters in the last in the last year as as, as Liverpool have, have taken over at the top. Um, but to then turn things around... Um, in the manner that they have, in the absolute relentless form that they put on, is in, is incredible, and all on all credit to him. Rob, when you look at the situation, and obviously Liverpool, the injuries to Van Dijk and Joe Gomez have, have massively disrupted them, and not just on a on a performance basis or a tactical basis. You, you see the leadership and the the organisation that they bring to that Liverpool team that's so sorely missing at the moment. And whilst it'd be unfair to just dismiss that as as a as a factor, Man City are almost demonstrating how to get by when your best players are missing, either through injury or through just not being in the team. No Kevin De Bruyne for the last couple of weeks. Sergio Aguero has barely kicked the ball probably in the last two or three months and Gabriel Jesus can't get in the team. He's remodelled his attack to reflect that and Sterling, Torres and, and Phil Foden have looked brilliant. No Kevin De Bruyne getting your goals from midfield, so Ilkay Gundogan has stepped up two goals against Liverpool today and there's an argument to be made and I know Liverpool fans won't like to hear it, but one of the hardest things to do in, in a title running is remodel your team. You just have to get on with it. And and that has been the situation in the past with Sir Alex Ferguson's United teams, Arsene Wenger's Arsenal, first time round Mourinho at Chelsea. When you find yourself in a sticky position and your only way to get through it is with the players you've got, you just have to do it. And Liverpool haven't been able to do that. Oh, totally. And I think as well last season, even in Liverpool's, you know, last two years where they've been fantastic in the league, really consistent, everyone has really highlighted that they didn't really have the depth. And if there was injuries and if they got unlucky, they could be in a bad situation. And I think really for them, it, the, the kind of the, the house of cards has come tumbling down this season simply because of that, that factor. When you look at Manchester City, they do have depth. So if they lose De Bruyne, if they lose Aguero, they have options. And it means that Aguero, it means that Pep can play different systems. He's not 
reliant on Aguero, as we've seen Gundogan come through this year with uh, for De Bruyne. And and you can see with Manchester City, they're just much more settled. Bringing in Diaz was a big sea change for them. You know, they, they hadn't really recovered since company left the club. And now they've got a really strong defence. And I think with Liverpool, you know, we're talking about all of these factors, but there seems to be a kind of, I don't know, a rotting element now in the team. For me, I'm, lots of people have said, the you know once Van Dyke's back it will all get fixed but like you said they're the word leadership you know it does feel that they're lacking leaders now and they're in a bad moment and they really need to find a way to start winning matches do you think Pete moving on to Liverpool do you think that's arguably the the cornerstone of all of this and the issues that they've had three straight defeats at Anfield which is their worst record in over 45 years that that no Van Dyke no Gomez that then puts another 10% 10% on the plate of Allison, on the plate of Andy Robertson, Sadio Mane at the other end of the pitch. Obviously, Jordan Henderson at, as captain, it relishes taking on more responsibility. But there was a sense last season when Liverpool won it that despite the fact that they did have these enormous stars in the team, everybody seemed to take responsibility for their own job. And everyone had the confidence uh, of the manager and of the fan base of without me in this team, they struggle. And that just bred through the team that whilst it was probably whispered that obviously Van Dijk was so important or Mane was so important everybody felt that their role was absolutely crucial and what's happened with these injuries and when the form has dipped is there's been a bit of an unmasking and certain players who've now been asked to do a bit more are not able to do it and mentally it seems to be affecting them yeah and Van Dijk's brilliance at the back is not not his only uh, not the not the only big thing that Liverpool are missing Um he starts every attack. He he is the instigator of of everything everything that that's good about Liverpool going forward and defensively, and he he, he has that influence at the back that you you can't really replicate. And I've been saying this for a while, and I said it last season, even when they were going through their amazing season that they had last year, is that a few if you take a few of the key players out, you have a few injuries. Liverpool's squad is the poorest in the top four by a, by a long way, in my opinion. If you um, until this season when you bought Diego Jota, uh, Diego Jota, pardon me. If Salah or Firmino or or Mane got injured, you've got Divock Origi as your next option. That's not good. That's not. It scored some crucial goals. Don't get Pete, me wrong. Pete, just but, sorry, just to cut across. Who would if you say they're the weakest squad in the top four? That would be themselves, Manchester City. United and Tottenham or United well, suppose, and Leicester well or... I suppose, yeah I suppose top four is not really a thing now is it because it's so different um, I'd even go a stretch it further than that I'd, I'd say if, if you if you go in if you go deeper I think I think United I think United have got a much stronger squad not necessarily stronger first 11 but a much stronger squad City have um, I think even Arsenal have got better options up front for example um, if you go a little bit deeper um, Tottenham not necessarily um, but you look at the, the rivals Chelsea have certainly got a stronger squad um, when they're all performing which which they're not all doing at the moment so you go you go deeper in that first 11 um, a couple of injuries you know like you just like you said before uh, Fergal that City have, 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 have won 4-1 at Anfield without Kevin De Bruyne and, and Sergio Aguero and if you put them in the team today, would they have looked any better? I don't know. It's because they have such quality to come in. Um, and Liverpool neglected that. They didn't strengthen enough in the summer. All right, money's tight. But, um, but even even last year, even last year you, just, you just felt they were a couple of... I always felt they were a couple of injuries away. And if you're going to try and um, retain your title and try and build 
you know, to, to anything like a dynasty or a few titles in a row. You need a squad that keeps developing all the time. And Liverpool's first team squad, uh, first first eleven, sorry, as good as it is, are not all that young. There's not many young players in there. You know, they're all approaching the late twenties. Um, so you know, at the top top level, they'd only have two, maybe three years. So you have to start thinking further ahead, which is why Diogo Jota was such a good signing, and they've been very unlucky with that. But they just needed that one, two other players who can who can just give them a bit of competition. And you're now starting to see, now they have got a few injuries, that it's, that squad has its limitations. Um, Pete, sorry, Rob, Pete pointed out before about Guardiola and giving kind of relatively vanilla answers in press conferences about the title race and where City are amongst their amongst their rivals. So hopefully you can give us something that's a little bit more definitive. Five points clear. They've got a game in hand, which is, as I said before, is against Everton that will get equalised up later on this month. Let's say they win that. That brings them to eight points clear, probably with about just over 10 or, or a dozen games to go between the end of the season. Is the title race over now, realistically? Not yet. Close. We're getting closer, and no <laughs> doubt, if City if City win that game in hand, then I think eight points is going to be a nice cushion for them. And there's no doubt that they're playing good football. They're relaxed. They're comfortable. Still, De Bruyne's come back into the team. You might go get Aguero towards the end of the campaign, and I think that will be it, done and dusted. But I still think that City, even though they had a kind of unsuccessful start to the season, they may they might still have a blip here or there. They might drop a point, a few points here and there. That might open the door for United. And I, I don't think that United are are really, you know, bona fide title contenders this season. I think it's something for the future. But they're still five points behind them, and they have to play them. And when you have those derby matches, it just doesn't know. You don't know which way it will go, and you might see a swing. But uh, City were the favourites for me in pre-season. Before I thought they had the strongest, strongest squad. I haven't changed my mind at all about that. And they're the team I think that that can put together wins of ten, eleven, twelve in a row. Whereas I'm not sure any other team in England can do that. That's impressive stuff from Rob that he, he's able to demonstrate his Mancunian colours. Even in a, a Liverpool-Manchester <laughs> Manchester City segment, he still manages to slip United in. Impressive stuff. Pete, um, given the fact that, as I say, there's the potential they could go eight points clear if they win that game in hand, but even if it's, say, six, if they get a draw off Everton, six, seven, eight, there or thereabouts. If we're sitting here at the end of February, they play Tottenham next to home, then that Everton game, then away at Arsenal. If, if at the end of the month, City are, let's say, seven or eight points clear... Is it done? Is it over? I don't think it's just the vaccines that are nice at the Etihad. I think the Champers is very much there, <laughs> and it, it will be in the next few weeks. I, I, I think it's not over mathematically, of course, um, and, and I don't think it's I don't think it's um, the points difference that that gives me the impression that that City are on course for the title. It's just. Uh, it's just simply how relentless they've been this season, and no one is even close to them. Like I still think there's there's a bit more to give from them, which is which is the scary thing, really. I, I still think you know there's there's a there's a couple of gears that they can go through, um, and it, it, at the end of the day, they're, they're too good defensively not to win the title now, not to not to throw it away. I mean, I'm Eric Laporte can't get in that team. Yeah. That's a it's an absolute. That's incredible. He'd walk into any other any other team in Europe. And he can't get in that. He can't get in that Man City team. And they've strengthened in the areas that they needed to. Spent, you know, spent big money, of course. Um, but um, they identified the areas that they really, really needed to. And it is, it is bearing fruit now. And, and I, I'd be stunned if uh, Manchester City don't win the league this season. 
I think the Laporte, the Laporte fact is an interesting one. I said it on the show a couple of weeks ago. If you flick back 12 months uh, ago for City, Laporte was arguably the first name on the team sheet alongside De Bruyne and mm. so much was placed on the fact that his injury last season derailed them and then when he came back he was so important and now we're in a situation that John Stones is back in form Ruben Diaz has come in and, and hit the ground running and is keeping Laporte out of the team um, Rob just moving on to Liverpool obviously as I say dreadful run of form at Anfield losing to Burnley losing to Brighton now losing to City what next for them? There's no cup competition. They're out of the FA Cup. Uh, I think some some team that you're aware of beat them. Um, they're out of the League Cup as well. Obviously, the final is going to be at the end of this month. So it's only the Premier League and the Champions League to focus on. If City do power on and, and we are in this position in a month's time, do you think Klopp could switch tack and just go all out for the Champions League so they have something to lift at the end of the season? Yeah, of course, the Champions League is a viable trophy for them now once you're into the knockouts. But I think the most important thing for Liverpool, it's the same for any of the big clubs. You've got to get top four. That's the way it is. You know, you've got to make sure you're in the, the big tournament next season, that you're prepared for that, and then you can go again. And I think just with the way you look at Liverpool now, it's easy to spin why they're having these bad results. You know, you can talk about injuries. You can talk about kind of loss of form or, or hitting the wall for the first time in four years and all of those factors. I think there are deeper things at play here. You know, we've we've seen with Salah, we don't know if he will be at the club next year, even though he has kind of hinted that he will be. Um, and these are big questions for Klopp to answer and for Liverpool's board. So th- they would have to go forward in, with maybe some bit of rebuilding in, in the summer. But it's just absolutely paramount importance that they get in that top four. Because if they come fifth, that would be a complete disaster of a season. Yeah, and whilst things do look a bit negative at the minute for Liverpool, you'd be you'd be absolutely shocked to see them drop out of the top four, even if they are not going to be in the title race in the next couple of months. Um, in a world where Premier League managers give you very boring answers, I'm pleased that you've both kind of edged towards a bit more of a definitive uh, solution <laughs> on that. I'm probably going to side with Pete. I think no, obviously no one's going to you know kind of wash their hands of the title race, but short of something absolutely cataclysmic, I think it's going to have uh, sky blue and white ribbons on it. In when does the season end? I can't remember what day of the week is at the moment. Is it Who May? Knows? Or is it? Does it go on into June? I think I read somewhere. Technically, technically it's May at the moment, isn't it? But um, it could stretch on. Whether it gets pushed back again, but I don't, I don't, it depends because the Euros needs to needs to needs to happen this year. They can't keep pushing. At that some back, stage, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, I'm I'm fairly confident it's going to be City, as I say, unless something absolutely ridiculous happens. But we are living in a fairly ridiculous time at the moment. That's it for part one. After the break, the guys are going to get their teeth stuck into Manchester United, who drew three three at home to Everton. Join us in a second. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League weekend review show. The title race has already been picked apart and we are relatively confident that City look to march on after they won 4-0, even not 4-0 at Anfield. We're going to cross the Manchester divide now. Manchester United 3-all, an absolute cracker of a game at home to Everton. Pete and Rob, obviously as United fans, you'll be frustrated, but just looking at this from a neutral perspective United and Everton particularly um, when David Moyes didn't manage United when he managed Everton there was a bit of a derby feel around these games and, and there was a bit of a rivalry and they, they generally pulled up quite good performances from both sets of players this was a cracker of a game even if United uh, didn't get the result they wanted Rob yeah uh... 
yes. <laughs> That's a begrudging I, 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 yes. I, I, I still feel like I've been punched in the stomach and it's 24 hours later. Um, it, it was a strange game. You know, I think United actually played some of their best football of the season. They looked really good. You know, one of the things I've talked about in the past is how they passed the ball and retention and all of those things. And they did that really well, except they made three pretty horrible errors and in the last minute when you've just got to defend your lines for five minutes they couldn't do it so very indicative of the Manchester United that we all know and love at the moment I think from the past 12 or 24 months uh, but it was a tough result for as a United fan it was a tough result to take in the manner that the draw came about. Um, Pete looking at the performance we'll, we'll touch on Everton in a second because as the old cliche goes this this was firmly a game of two halves United were excellent in the first half Look really, really slick. Probably would have been forgiven for thinking that the game had been put to bed 2-0 up at the break. Um, Edison Cavani back in the team and, and we're seeing an example of, despite the fact that he's, you know, cough, cough, the wrong side of 30, <laughs> there isn't anybody else in that United squad that can play that role as well as he does. And I mean, allowing Rashford and allowing Greenwood to be able to do what they do best around him, but then constantly just looking to get himself in the box. And it sounds a little bit Sunday league, but it is absolutely vital to have a striker that is single-minded enough to think, I can be involved in the play, but I've got to, got to, got to get into the box. And for all of Rashford's ability and Greenwood and, and Anthony Martial, who was on the bench in this one, Cavani still seems the most natural finisher in this team. As you know, Fergal, I'm 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 wrong very, very infrequently. And <laughs> is I, that I, true? I, oh, absolutely. Um and I, when United signed Edinson Cavani, I thought, number one, I thought it was a bit desperate. I thought it was a bit, well, we've not got Jaden Sancho. Instead, you've got um, a, a man in the twilight of his career for, on a free transfer who'd been a, who'd been a, a free agent for two months because nobody seemed to want him. And I thought, well, what, you know, what have United done here? I thought it was a bit embarrassing at the time. But how wrong have, uh, as have I, you know, on this rare occasion been? It's, <laughs> it's, it's incredible. He, he is a phenomenal footballer. He just has, if Teddy Sheringham had that extra yard in his, in his head, Cavani's got three. He, he, he's, he's a, a fantastic forward. And um, Solskjaer has been very, very complimentary of him. And, and uh, one point he's, he's made is that Edison Cavani has come in to United and he said, here is what I will eat. You, you, this is the food I will eat. No, normally, you know, you say in the, in the canteen or whatever, you get what you're given. Or the, the nutritionist at United will work out a plan. Edison Cavani's come in and said, no, this is why I'm so fit. Here's what I eat. And now United are copying him. Solskjaer's been saying, Solskjaer's been saying that we're learning more from him than he's learning from us. And that can only be, you're right to touch on, on Rashford and Greenwood. That, how good must it be to be training with this man every day? All you have to do is watch his movement. Because... That is not movement that every striker has. That is not movement that is that is in the coaching manuals. You only have that as a natural instinct. And if you sit and watch Edison Cavani, you are going to get a lesson in how to be a, an out-and-out striker. And Mason Greenwood and, and Rashford are only going to get better by being alongside him. And the other thing is is that, yes, he's getting on a bit, but he's so fit. Like he's, he's, the, he, he, he's the fittest player in the squad. And he can, he can run and run and run. And... He's in such good condition. He could go on for two, three, maybe even more years than that. He's a phenomenal player and um, he has uh, made me eat humble pie and so. <laughs> is humble pie what he's eating? Is that is that what he's demanding? <laughs> is that what he said he's going to eat? <laughs> Pete, you can't keep us hanging here. So, uh, speaking of someone who had a Snickers and a coffee for lunch, what is it? Do, is this something, is this a club secret? Are you privy to, to what, what is on Cavani's menu? 
I've, I've tried being the athlete that I am. I always want to give myself the extra edge and um, I've tried to get more info out of United, but no, they, it's very much under lock and key. It's, it's like some secret ingredient that grandma's cookies that you'll, that's going to go <laughs> to the deathbed kind of thing. Um, but it, it's just, it's just the fact that he takes it like he, he stayed fit in the summer, for example, by doing ballet, you know, he just does things that little bit differently, thinks outside the box. And that's why he's in such remarkable condition. And, and as as he's actually younger than me, which is sickening, really. But he um, he is in remarkable condition, and and I am not. Um, obviously, Grandma's cookies is probably not what Cavani's <laughs> eating. Uh, whatever he is eating, if if anyone knows, uh, if anyone knows the secrets or any sort of uh, Uruguayan delicacies, I can't think of anything. Luis Suarez mm. normally feasts on defenders, so I, I don't really know what <laughs> what uh, what would be down on the menu, Rob. Uh, Bruno Fernandes is a player that we don't have to kind of discuss what he eats. I think he just eats spinach and and steak and chicken and everything because he seems to be seems to be made of steel because he never misses a game. But the big talking point from him was his goal. Um, anyone of a certain age will have had memories of Eric Cantona's finish against Sunderland where he just kind of jogged on, chipped the keeper and stood there and let everyone admire him. We've also got David Beckham's goal against Tottenham where he just whipped it back across the goal. Um as a man of a certain age, I'm sure you won't mind people knowing that. Where does Fernandez's goal rank on that? On on the kind of swoop and whip strikes uh, that have been seen at Old Trafford. It was an excellent goal. I don't think it was quite up there with the Cantona goal. Uh, I I am old enough to remember that goal, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> and I'm also old enough to remember Bex's goal against Tottenham, uh, which was fairly similar in how he whipped the ball. Um, look, it's a great goal, but I think more more interesting for me as a United fan is just the mentality that Bruno's brought to the football club. Uh, I was very keen on him signing, you know, in that transfer window in January when he came. The previous summer, United were in for him and it didn't quite come off. But I, I felt United needed someone who could press from the number 10 and create and score goals and do everything have an all-encompassing leader there in that position and he's ticked all the boxes you know here we are a year later and Manchester United are five points off Manchester City we're talking about how our City winning the league well as United fans I think we're looking at this and going we didn't think we'd be anywhere within 10 points 15 points 20 points of Manchester City this year so that's not just Bruno Fernandes I think Cavani has been a huge part of that but I think it's also how Ole's knitted the team together and made his the important players in the side go out there and take responsibility uh, Pete Cantona Beckham Fernandez, where would you put it on the list oh it's, it, it doesn't touch the Cantona goal for me I, I was I was there that day I can't remember how old I was at the time um, but I think what, what everyone's what the, been very cloak and dagger about their yeah, age I think yeah, Edinson yeah. Cavani's made us all feel, feel very <laughs> self-conscious oh yeah um, and the, um, the the other the comparison uh, with the Fernandez and the Cantona goal was the celebration. Cantona turned around, didn't he, afterwards, and just sort of looked at everyone and think, yeah, that was good, wasn't it? And Fernandez did that a little bit. I think he, he kind of he, he he ruined it at the end because he did a little bit of a roar in celebration. But at first, he'd, <laughs> at, at first, he sort of looked left and right and went, yeah, that was good, wasn't it? Like Eric did, but nobody can do it like Eric, and nobody ever will. No, I think a brilliant goal as it was, even for me, I think it comes in at third. I think partly because Cantona was involved in the build-up for his goal and then he just kind of stood and waited and there was no meat on the pass into him. He he created everything out of that. And then on the other side of it, Beckham, the, the physics of Beckham's goal, I remember just watching that over and over and over and over mm. again and very poorly in school trying to recreate it and it just <laughs> and it just didn't work out. So unfortunately, Bruno, you are, you are third in that list, but it's not a bad list to come in at third place. Um, Everton, Pete, 
maybe Carlo snuck into the Man United dressing room at half-time, saw what uh, Cavani was cooking up and fed it to his players at the break because they were absolutely dreadful. I don't think Evertonians will mind me saying that. They were dreadful in the first half, chasing shadows, couldn't really get a handle on United. And then they came out after the break and they looked a completely different side. I was I was at the game on Saturday and and uh, at half time just before half time I sort of just, I just sort of just panned to to Ancelotti and he was he was he was like berating himself he was like he couldn't believe how bad his team had been because they were all over the place in spells um, on Saturday but and he he marched down that touch line obviously getting ready for a bit of old uh, plug, uh, plug Fergie's hairdryer in and. <laughs> It, um, it, and it worked. They were a different team in the second half. Just, just more energy, um, more intensity in their play, and obviously just said, "Look, you were, you were, you were really awful in that, in that, uh, in that first half. Just go for it. Just, just let loose a bit. Um, I'm gonna give you a bit more freedom. Express yourselves." And, and have a go, and they did. And when you've got when you've got players like they have in in Decore, Decore is fantastic for bringing that bit of energy and that um, and those legs in midfield to complement James Rodriguez's flair and, and and finishing as we saw for for his goal. Um, you you can get somewhere, and uh, they, you know, I thought United were very very good. Like it, weirdly, it was one of the best performances of the season, especially at home because at, at home they've not been so good. Um, and they've played a lot worse than that, and and uh, and won games. It was just Everton just never say die. I just kept going and going. It was just two silly goals that United have uh, conceded. Um, De Gea I, I, does not cover himself in, in glory for two of them. Um, but credit to Everton, they kept plugging away, they kept going, and just purely for their efforts uh, alone, they probably um, well maybe not deserve, but not almost deserved a point. Um, when you look at the Everton performance in the second half, Rob, and uh, Pete's touch on Odulio Decore there, him and Tom Davies anchoring that midfield with, with a driving force, really, for, for the performance, winning tackles, getting Everton higher up the pitch. Decore got himself a goal. And I think his signing from Watford in the summer has been lost in the noise, the James Rodriguez noise. And even Alan coming in from Napoli was kind of seen as a bigger signing because of where he was coming from. Um, but, but him and Davies have, have built up a really good partnership at the base of that midfield because... The defence know they're relatively well protected because they'll, they'll win tackles for fun. And players further forward, the likes of Rodriguez, Richarlison and, and Dominic Calvert-Lewin, know that they can concentrate on being the other side of the opposition midfield. And despite the fact that Tom Davies is not a massive, big-name, big-money signing at Goodison Park, he adds a real level of balance to the team. Yeah, he does. And I think he's a, a player that's had a kind of stop-start career at Everton. He, he was very promising in his, in his early years. And now it feels like he's finally found a place in the team. Um, but I think when you look at that Everton midfield, you know, in the first half, they, they couldn't find that final ball and get Richarlison going over the top or through the channels. And that was really where the space was. But in the second half, they managed to work around the issue of having no Paul Pogba on the pitch. Uh, I think that really did help them. And, and just getting closer to De Gea's goal. But at the end of the day, that midfield as well, they only the the attack they only got three shots off and they actually scored all three. So that's that's economy for you. And I think that may be a difference where Everton wants to be now, but actually being a team that can soak up some pressure and actually hit on the counter. Pete, based on the fact that it was two very different forty-five minutes before, well, fifty minutes with uh, with Dominic Calvert-Lewin's ninety-fifth minute goal. When you look at that, and you've got this almost Jekyll and Hyde situation, and we know that Everton are a team that want to be challenging for a Champions League place. Which 
Jekyll or Hyde do you think we're going to see more of between now and the end of the season? Are you confident that that performance in the second half will, will grow belief in the team? Or are well, you a bit worried that old habits die hard? You've thrown me a bit of a hospital pass there, haven't you? Everton this season have <laughs> gone through so many stages. Um, they've looked brilliant um, one week and then they go and lose to Newcastle at home. Um, again, like many teams this season, their away form has been, has been better than the home form. Um, they just need to find consistency, and as soon as and as soon as they do, they are more than capable of of, of putting a, a a good run together and snack, sneaking into that top four, especially in this weird season that it is. Um, but I- impossible impossible to predict Everton because of uh, because of, because of the the results that they've got this season, um, so inconsistent. They, they uh, losing Hamas Rodriguez was such a big loss for them. Um, Keep him fit, which is not easy, as we're seeing. He's, he's missed a lot of this season. Uh, keep him fit, um, then they've got every chance. Um, and uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin thri- will thrive off that service. He went through that barren run recently um, without without a goal. I think, I think it was in seven games, uh, but coincided with James Rodriguez's injury as well. Um, they, have a ver- they have a very, very good first eleven. Uh, not necessarily the you know the greatest strength in depth, but a very very good first eleven and keep the big players fit. They've got every chance. Yeah, I agree. It's still a bit of an enigma for Everton about where they're going to end up uh, between now and the end of the season. Probably want to definitely keep an eye on one side that will be pushing for Europe. You would imagine in the months to come, based on their early form in 2021, is Aston Villa. Arsenal were the visitors to Villa Park this weekend as Dean Smith's side picked up a one-nil win, damaging Arsenal's own chances of securing a place in Europe. We're going to be talking about that and all the other Premier League action from the weekend after the break. Catch you in a second. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. We've talked title race, we've talked title chances and we've talked who is going to be the crowned champion at the end of the season. We're going to drop down a little bit now and talk about Europa League qualification. Aston Villa and Arsenal, two sides that are realistically battling for a place in Europe's second competition for next season. Aston Villa 1-0 winners over Arsenal. Rob, I'm going to go to you first on this one. We'll talk about Arsenal in a minute but let's focus on the positives which generally doesn't include Arsenal Football Club this season and that's Aston Villa they look fresh they look bright they've got a young team can they be in the shake-up for Europe? I think they are in the shake-up I'm not sure whether they'll finish in those places I think you know at the start of the season retaining Grealish was a huge factor in their, in their building for this season and, and you've just seen them go from strength to strength and it's quite interesting comparing them to say a team like Arsenal who are also really in a kind of rebuilding phase of their football club and seeing the differences in the confidence levels and the consistency so I, I think uh, I think Villa's you know Europe would be an incredible finish for them and I think that mid-table is probably more likely where they'll place but it's tough times for Arsenal I think they're finding it difficult you know they've lost 10 Premier League games this season if you look at that in context Fulham who look like they're going to go down have lost 11 so it's not really been a good season for the Gunners Yeah that is a a stinging stat and obviously Aston Villa is again a little bit of a similar situation to Everton Pete where we're, we're kind of 
concerned about making a big call on where they're going to end up but generally when you talk about teams that are right on that edge of seventh place and trying to push to get into a Europa League spot the the boxes that need to be ticked Villa seem to be seem to be ticking they've got a good goalkeeper in Emiliano Martinez they've got a defensive leader in Tyro Mings who was impressive again yesterday obviously Grealish is the kind of leader and, and creative input and then crucially they've got a goal scorer in, in, in Ollie Watkins who's proving that he can cut it at, at Premier League level so on paper you would say they're right in and amongst it with a, with a big big chance Yeah it, it, it's very easy to praise Grealish and, and every, every time you mention Aston Villa it's, it's, it's straight to Grealish isn't it but there are other players in that team and you're right to point um, to highlight Ollie Watkins he was excellent against Arsenal and sort of um, and a, a sort of a telling a telling stat was that he completed twenty sprints um, against Arsenal compared uh, compared to Arsenal's lone striker Lacazette, which was seven. Yes, he came. Yes, he came off after the hour mark, but almost three times the amount of sprints. And Villa just put in the work, and that's how they got. That's how they ground out that result. And, and um, Dean Smith uh, said it after the game as well. He said that we've been, they've been playing well recently, but they've simply not been putting the work in like they, like they did earlier in the season. And that's what he asked of them yesterday. And that's what they did. They covered every blade of grass, chased everything down and worked hard for the result. And they've got that bit of quality that if you, if you, if you do work hard, you've got to get the re- rewards because you've got the players who ha- bring that bit of quality to edge tight games like that. And you're right also, Fergal, to compare them to Everton because... Um, in the fact that they've both got fantastic managers. Dean Smith has done an excellent job uh, at Aston Villa, uh, and it's it's nice it's nice for the football romanticists out there, isn't it? That you know, local local lad, Villa fan, um, everything he's been through as as well with his family bereavement that he had earlier in the year. Um, it's a really nice it's a really nice story in an awful t- these awful times to see Dean Smith doing so well and he deserves everything that he gets um, they've got a fantastic coaching staff there as well and, and everything's going well at the moment and, uh, and, and, and I'm glad to see it is On the flip side of the coin Rob everything's not going well for Arsenal not quite um, a disaster situation their form wasn't wildly different to, to Aston Villa's heading into this but they finished the weekend with two wins in their last five Premier League games but Everything just seems a little bit chaotic at the minute. And the Wolves' result with, with the sending-offs of Louise and Leno was kind of filed under a bad day at the office. But you would have expected a reaction against Aston Villa, who, as we've mentioned, have been impressive and, and are in good form. But given the level of players that Arsenal have, even with the injuries, you would still expect, even if they go away to Villa Park and get a draw, you'd still expect a performance. And for me, as an Arsenal fan, I'm sure other Arsenal fans who watched it, that's the most concerning point lack of effort and a lack of a performance absolutely and it's that consistency factor isn't it you know it's, it's all very well winning games that's what you want but it's you know it's how you get there how on the journey you actually find a way to have a team that does that week in week out uh, I always felt that Arteta was the right man for the job I still believe that but there will come a point where this breaks and unfortunately Arsenal are in that place in mid-table where it could just go one way or the other now we're talking about teams maybe qualifying for Europe well Arsenal's form doesn't dictate that at the moment. Arsenal's form doesn't say that they're going to end up in sixth or seventh or they'll just have a kind of push on into the top four even. It doesn't look like that from what we're seeing. They're not, they're not passing the eye test. So I think it's, a, it's going to be a really, really difficult end to the season for Arsenal. And they've just got to find a way of being consistent and not picking up red cards, not picking up silly results, not conceding silly goals. But I don't see where it stops at the moment. It feels like there's still more to come. 
Speaking of silly goals, David Luiz, uh, Pete, missed his first game. He's got three-match ban to serve now. Same as Bernd Leno. They were both sent off against Wolves. And for me, I would like to see David Luiz as far away from Arsenal Football Club <laughs> as possible. His sending off meant that Gabriel could come back into the team. I, I was impressed with Gabriel at the start of the season. He then picked up a bit of an injury and, and found it hard to get rhythm back into it. But... This offers an opportunity for Louise now, hopefully, to be left out of the team. I know, obviously, the departures of Socrates and, and Shadrama Mustafi has, has meant that Arsenal are short of numbers at the back. But Arteta cannot keep messing around with his starting eleven because it's really starting to have a damaging effect on results. Obviously, injuries happen and suspensions, particularly when you're David Louise, happen. They're an occupational hazard when you're him. But there still doesn't seem to be a settled plan and a settled way of doing things. And as as arrogant as it sounds that's mid-table behaviour yeah like the Arsenal have lost 10 games already this season that, that's mad that's you definitely mid-table behaviour yeah uh, at, the, at this stage you know from, from 23 games they've lost 10 games already that's, that's astounding really and and Arteta, Arteta, because he talks a good game in the press, especially in his press conferences, he gets a bit of a he gets a bit of an easy ride. I feel because this is anyone else. If, if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is 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 down in tenth at this stage of the season, there's not they're not going to be oh well, you know like they are with Arteta. Oh yeah, it's going to take time. Um, you know, it's a process. There's a lot of work to do there. He's got to have to start getting like. I know they had a recent uh, revi- Arsenal had a recent revival, and to be honest, the, the the defeat against Wolves was a bit of an outlier because that decision could could easily not have gone against them, and they were they were cruising they were cruising at one nil up uh, and, and had chances to make it two. Um, but it, that, as 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 you'll know, as 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 a, as a fan, that must be so disappointing against Villa to be so flat after working so hard to get get themselves turn the season around to then go to a, uh, to villa and offer very very little in attack i mean they, it's not like arsenal um through the kitchen sink at villa late on it, it, it was a, it was a bit of a damp squib of an attacking performance and he he doesn't know his best team yet you you're right to say that he's he's chopping and changing a lot but that's because he doesn't know his best team yet um, this this still needs the, the squad still needs plenty of addressing in transfer windows when the money is available, um, but he's chopping and changing not not be, not for squad rotations because he simply doesn't know what his best team is yet, which is very worrying. More than halfway you know halfway more than halfway into a Premier League season, um, and you you can see Arsenal going on three four game run uh, a winning run you know with the exciting young players that are now in the in the first team and Emil Smith-Rowe uh, and Bukayo Saka who's one of the best young talents in the country however equally in equal measure when you've got uh, players like Lacazette when they're not firing Aubameyang yes he's had his, his problems off the pitch but when he's not firing you could easily see them go in uh, two or three, four games without a win again. So you don't know you don't know what you're going to expect. But he needs to find some continuity soon, and he needs to work out what his best team is very, very quickly. Uh, just quickly, Rob Abamyang, Pete touched on him there. He has been absent for the last couple of weeks because of a, a family issue. Obviously, that can't be helped. He did have an issue at the back end of last year with it, with a couple of slight injuries, and he hasn't been able to get up to the form that he is. And he looks almost nailed on to end the season with his lowest number of Arsenal goals. He's only got five so far, and unless he absolutely goes goal crazy between now and the end of the season, he is going to drop below his average. And when you look at Arsenal's performances they still rely so much on him. And given the fact that despite signing the new contract and committing his future, in quotes, to the club, 
Um, he doesn't seem to be the force that he was last season or, or even 18 months ago. And that's having a damaging effect because Arteta, as a young manager, needs his senior players. And, and with Arsenal's position, he needs players that he can rely on to consistently be of the level uh, that's going to be challenging for a European spot to be performing like that. And Aubameyang just isn't. Well, it's always really interesting, isn't it, when a player gets the big contract, you know, when it's been debated for a year, will they sign, won't they sign? And then they put their, their name on that deal, they get the big deal, the wages, and then they stop performing. Now, you can't always equate why that is, but I think that kind of shows the ecosystem at Arsenal, you know, there's so much weight put on uh, Aubameyang and what he does and his goals that there maybe wasn't the kind of wider focus of the squad or what was needed. Uh, and they're in that kind of difficult place now because they need a Young to find his form, to come back, to, to start scoring. Because if they don't, they simply won't have the firepower to get anywhere near a European place. And they might even end up upside, outside the top 10, the way things are. It, they don't look like a team that's progressing. And this is why, he's a seller. I, I do believe that Arteta was the right man and I would still stick with him for now. But as we said, you know, this was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in 10th or Frank Lampard in 10th. I'm not sure these people would keep their jobs. And in Frank's case, he didn't. And, and he was actually doing a lot better than Arteta is. So it's a difficult place for Arsenal at the moment. So it's a stick or twist. They have to be patient, but at the same time, you know, you lose more games, fall further down the table. I don't see that he stays. Yeah, well, lucky for Arteta, Arsenal fans are an incredibly patient bunch, so I'm sure he'll be, <laughs> I'm sure he'll be soothed by that. Uh, Pete, moving on to some of the other games from the weekend, Burnley won, Brighton won. This was a little bit of a you go, no you go kind of a, kind of an encounter. Graham Potter praised these players at, at full time. Obviously, on the back of that win at Anfield, they needed to dig deep again, another away game, um, and they looked impressive. They didn't look as as energetic as they did against Liverpool, but they did enough to make sure they didn't get beat and. Given the fact of, of getting a point for both sides and all the results kind of going in their direction over the weekend, we're now seeing a, a bit of a gap opening up between 17th and, and 18th. We've got Burnley on 23 points and Fulham, who we're going to talk about in a second, on 15. Are we seeing the gap now that's going to that's going to see which teams stay up and which teams go down? I think so. I mean, it, it, it's it's not something. It's certainly nothing that not something the broadcasters will be saying that the title race is affected could could well be over <laughs> and the and the relegation battle the same. Like you, you look don't at need those to watch bo- any more football. All the exciting <laughs> stuff's over. <laughs> you look at those, the bottom three now, and you think they it's, it'd be it'd be a hell of a turnaround for any of them to get out. Never mind, never mind, just follow them. Um, I, Burnley have. I've done it again. Like it's remarkable, really, that Sean Dyche does what he does, considering they spent nothing in two transfer windows, um, and they've got a wafer thin squad. You look at their squad; their you know their first team on paper is no disrespect to them. It's a champ- it's a championship side, and Sean Dyche is he's keeping them up, um, doing working the wonders that he does. Why he puts up with it, I don't know. Um, and they've been they've been much much better recently. They've dug deep. They've they've, they've gone back to what they were good at. Uh, and put in put in the graft, and they're starting to get some results. Um, and that was a, it's a good result against Brighton because Brighton um, are, are finally like everyone loves. He's sort of the hipster's choice, isn't he, Graham Potter? Because of his back, where he's come from, and he's he's very innovative style of play that 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 worked at, at Anfield. They played some really good stuff. Um, but then it doesn't it doesn't always bear fruit when you go to places like Berlin. You have to dig a little bit deeper. Um, but he's starting to produce it on a more regular basis now. And and again, he's worked on a very limited budget as well with, with you know with some curveball players that he's picked out of nowhere. Um, and they they seem to be finally getting um, on the up again. And 
Uh, yeah, it was a good result, and it was a really good game actually for for a one-one draw. You see a one-one draw at Burnley, you think that's not going to be all that great, but it was it was a it was an entertaining game of two teams who were playing much much better football at the moment, and they actually went for it, which made it an entertaining watch. Uh, one game that was definitely entertaining this weekend, Rob, was Newcastle three-one, uh, three-two winners against Southampton. And a friend of mine who's a Newcastle fan absolutely nailed it with Steve Bruce, where he said at full time he had the look of a father on Christmas morning watching uh, kids that his wife has uh, presents that his wife has bought for the kids and being like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've no idea how this happened, but yeah, everything <laughs> seems to be going well. But they've got two wins in the last three. They do look to be playing slightly better uh, football, and despite bucketing and bucketing of rain they held out they finished the game with nine players Jeff Hendry got sent off and then Fabian Scher went off with an injury and a bit of grit and a bit of grunt got them over the line against a Southampton side that are not in the best run of form but on paper are a better side than them yeah, I think Southampton's injury woes has really hurt them in the last few weeks. And we saw that, obviously, at Old Trafford with the 9-0. But we also saw that here uh, against Newcastle. I think with Newcastle, they're, they've got, they're a team that have got potential. But Bruce has to find a way with his own tactics to make them effective to be able to win matches. And I think that's been the issue this season. Now, I think Willock coming in will, will be a good buy. And I think that when you look at the, the balance of their first team, they look a more dangerous prospect going forward. But I think also now looking at that bottom three like we were just talking about there, because there is that buffer zone, there is also some safety there. So Newcastle can maybe go out there and play with a little bit more freedom. Uh, and they did do that against Southampton. But I think there's also the fact that Southampton have, are just in a bad place themselves and that contributed towards the result. Um, just quickly on Southampton before before we move on to the thriller that was Fulham nil, West Ham nil, Rob. Four defeats in a row, losing to Arsenal, losing to Villa, then obviously getting whacked 9-0 by United and then Newcastle. How worried should they be? I know they were excellent at the back end of, of last year, but again, in the in the realistic world of, of Premier League football, they they were probably always expecting a bit of a slide. Is this just a bump in the road and you'd expect them to come back? Or are you worried that they could just slide and slide and slide? I think it's a bump in the road. As I said, I think they've had some really serious injuries. It's impacted their squad hugely. But when you look at records, you know, 22 games this year at Southampton, they've won eight. So they're not really in a place, I think, where, you, where you'd be pressing the panic button. And I think Hassan Hootel's tactics have showed over an extended period now from, say, the last 9-0 to the most recent 9-0. <laughs> Judge that, me by my 9-0s. Indeed. You know, he, he will probably be the only top-flight manager to ever lose two games 9-0 in the Premier League. That will probably be something that sticks in forever. Uh, and that will be unfortunate. But I think Southampton, when everyone is fit and firing, when you've got Danny Ings up top, I think Minamino is a really good addition for the end of the season. I think they'll be safely in mid table um, Fulham nil-nil uh, with West Ham I've managed to delay it by a minute or so Pete as a, as a skilled journalist I'm sure you can make, mm-hmm. a, make a nice story out of this three shots on target this was absolutely dire and I think what we're getting an insight with here at Fulham is Scott Parker's tactic of just don't get beat just draw, yeah. draw, draw, draw. And, and ultimately, that isn't good enough. And I think in comparison to, say, Sheffield United or arguably even West Brom who, who are having their issues, they're prepared to go and, and roll the dice. If they know they're going to get beat or they know mm. it's going to be a draw, they might try and push it and win and rather lose 1-0 than another draw. Ultimately, Parker's team cannot just keep drawing games. 
it's why I found his post-match comments a bit odd. Like his post-match comments were that we've got to find a way to stop drawing these games and just went, you know, sneaking them. And I'm thinking, well, you're the you're the reason why you you're drawing these <laughs> yeah. too too many games. They they set up far too reserved at home. When you're at home, when you're at home in the Premier League against team, you know, against teams, anyone really, but against teams that are in and around you, especially, you've got to you've got to um, you've, you've got to let loose a bit. You've got to have a go. And they're just not being adventurous enough at home. And I, I was, I was a big, um, I was excited by the sign of Adamola Luckman. I thought that was a great signing. Um, and he, he, he's the one that gives them that spark. But a lot of the time, he just has no, he has no help up there. And um, it'd be interesting to see what Madger does um, for, for January signing from Bordeaux um, if he gives them a lift. But they just look, they've got the eight points behind. Effect, you know, effectively they've got nothing to lose. People are expecting them to go down. Just have a go a bit, and you've got you've got to release the shackles a bit, especially at home, and just go for it. If you lo- if you end up losing two nil, you end up losing two nil. It, it's no good. Keep drawing games nil nil or or one one at home. Um, Yes, a point's better than none, but you've got to got to have a go because a points aren't going to get them out of what, where they are. They need to get victories under the belt. So it's they've, Scott Parker might say, you know, we're trying to blame the players perhaps, but I think his tactics certainly are far too reserved. Uh, from the thrills and spills of Fulham drawing nil-nil with West Ham, uh, we're going to move on to Sunday's games, Rob. Tottenham 2, West Brom nil. West Brom find themselves in a, in a pretty similar situation to Fulham where relegation, short of a miracle, looks relatively nailed on. But Tottenham, amazingly, we saw Jose Mourinho crack a little smile in his in his post-match press conference, but that's probably due to the fact that he's got Harry Kane back and Song Heung-min has got his smile back as well. Absolutely. I think everything about Tottenham Hotspurs revolves around Harry Kane. So when he's injured, they're not nearly as good as they can be. And when he's back in the team, they have that immediate confidence boost. I don't think this was a fantastic performance by Tottenham, but I think they did more than enough to win. And I think when you look at West Brom, you know, they've brought Big Sam in, they've tried to reorganise and and do something a little bit differently, but it's not working. You know, I think they're going to go down. They also look like a championship team in in terms of comparisons. Uh, But I think for Spurs, they they will just want to get their season back on track now, I think it's been a, dis- a disappointing few weeks, but they've got to keep Harry Kane fit. And as I said in previous podcasts here, you know, without him, they just simply can't progress. So they've got to find a way in future transfer windows to build their squad because at the moment they're not good enough. Uh, Pete, as you've been off the show for a few weeks, you're suffering here. So I'm going to give you another nil-nil. Wolves nil, Leicester nil. Oh. This was built up pre-game as being a bit of an exciting one, given the type of football that Santo and Rogers both play. But ultimately, it failed to catch fire. There was only four shots on target across the whole 90 minutes. And we're almost kind of getting a bit of a sign. You know, we said right at the start of the show, we're getting a measure of where Liverpool and Manchester City are. We got a bit of a measure of where these two are in this game. Wolves are in a very odd spot. They've only won one team in 2021. And Leicester, despite the fact that we'd still be confident of them getting a European spot, they don't really seem to be able to get it together in, in the last few weeks. These are the games that Leicester need to win, really, because Wolves have been really poor this season by their high standards, by Nuno standards that he expects. And he's, he's looked very deflated this season, Nuno, because they've been so poor. And it's simply because of the Raúl Jiménez injury, um, and the fact that Fabio Silva has not cut it. He's not, uh, not you know, they spent a lot of money. That's what happens when you when you get when you get into bed with um, uh, George Mendes. But um, Fabio Silva is certainly not living up to the price tag, and he missed a, he missed another city today, um, and. 
Wolves need goals from somewhere. They've got William Jose in the in the in the January transfer window, but he he will take some time to settle. And they just miss him and him and Es Masili. He's, he's so important to that system. Um, and they're not the same team without him. Um, and that's why they've fallen off. Um, but that's why Leicester, you know, Wolves were there for the taking today. If Leicester really do want to be seen as um, a, a top, you know, a regular top four team. And, you know, if, if Rodgers has very high aspirations for that team, if he wants to see them push for a title, these are the games that you've got to win. Um, and they'll, they'll, they'll see that as two points dropped because of, of where Wolves are at at the moment and, and how well Leicester have played um, this season. And, and again, they're one of the teams that are better away from home, so they'll have fancied themselves today. Um, and they'll see that as, as very much two points dropped. Just quickly, just touching back on Leicester. Obviously, the situation with Jamie Vardy, he's he's back in full training. He came off the bench and, and missed a, a bit of a half chance late on. Is it too easy to just say that when the games do start coming thick and fast and we're talking about these really, really thin margins between a point and three points, it's all about him? Is that doing a bit of a disservice? I know Madison's performed really well this season. Ian Acho stepped in and got a few goals, same as Ayosi Perez, but... Ultimately, you do always get that sensation with Leicester that when they really, really need someone, Vardy just pulls on the cape and, and gets gets what they need. Yeah, I think that um, in January, I did expect Leicester to push a little bit harder for uh, for another striker. Um, I think that's the one. I think that's the one area they they are a bit short in when when Vardy's injured. Um, Ian Acho's done it on you know on occasion but he's not he's not going to score you if he played every game he wouldn't score you more than t- more than 10 goals a season he's not got anything like v- Vardy levels energy um, and Vardy because the thing is with Vardy he's not just about goals he's that first press isn't he he's that one that brings that high press and without him you, you can't really do it and per- Perez IOC Perez is certainly not that sort of player so they have to play a completely different style when, when Vardy's not there because of his, his he, misses in, he misses intelligence he misses energy and he misses goals and the way that he drags defenders around is is crucial to to every other player in that um, Leicester team. So the they, it's not it's not the fact that he's missing; it's the fact that they have to play a completely completely different way without him. And and the players that are coming in to replace him just don't offer the same anything like the same. Yeah, I would agree. And and I think as positive as Leicester have been in patches so far this season, he will be absolutely key whether to decide whether they're playing Champions League football or Europa League football next season. Gents, we're going to call it there for the Football Social Daily Premier League weekend review show. It feels like a massive weekend. Uh, Pete is right. Um, we don't want our broadcasting overlords to hear, but it does feel like it's been absolutely definitive in terms of who's going to win it and who's going to potentially go down. But between now and the end of the season, there's still an enormous amount to talk about in Premier League action and with that in mind if you're a fan of the podcast just give the subscribe button a quick click we've got a daily episode every 24 hours and if you subscribe to the podcast you get it dropped to you straight away Niall uh, Jim I'm forgetting his name Niall Jim the boss never forget your boss's name Niall Jim Mm. and Marley will be back tomorrow looking at Sheffield United's game against Chelsea and previewing Leeds against Crystal Palace Pete Rob thanks so much for joining me thank you thank you great stuff and keep listening to the podcast and we'll see you again very very soon football's social daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.